looking for the king of podcasts, you're at the wrong channel. Looking for good ideas for life, you are far from good hands. If you think the listener is always right, you are far from the right place. Hosted by Northeastern by birth, a rebel by choice. If you want a host that floats between love and madness, then play on and listen to Crazy Train Radio. You drive me wild. <laughs> what up, Crazy Train Radio? You look like hell. And I could look the same. What's the photo for? You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Truth, 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 I love scotch. I love scotch. Scotch is got scotch. Here it goes down. Down into my belly. I'm one crazy new Hey there, Friday fans. We know how much you enjoy the movies. Enjoy grabbing your Friday merchandise and interacting with the Friday family, whether it be at conventions or during our particular watch-alongs. Well, when you're looking to get yourself masks, why not check out our friends over at Camp Blood Customs out of New York State and order your specific custom mask from any of the films. All orders are made specifically. Your needs and wants are. Make sure you find Camp Blood Customs on Facebook, Instagram, and all over social media and order yours today. Hi, this is Baby Doll, your perfect 10. And whenever you want to hear the best about wrestling, memories, stories, whatever we have to say, listen to Crazy Tearing Radio. They've got it all. Hey, folks, it's your least favorite host in the podcast world, Croc. 
Jonathan Steele. And boy, do we have a good one for you today. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, I'm actually excited to have this next guest on, as she is probably best known for her appearances with world-class championship wrestling down in Texas, also in Jim Crockett promotion, both in the 1980s. And it's amazing, we'll get into it, that she is more in demand now these past few years with conventions and everything else. And this span of her career has gone on longer than her in-ring career, if you will, baby, from the 1980s. She is best known by her ring name, the Perfect Ten Baby Doll. But let's go ahead and welcome Miss Nicola Roberts. How are you today? I'm well, doing very well. Thank you for having me on here. It's an honor and a privilege. Thank you. Appreciate the time. And we kind of were talking about it through Facebook a little bit when we confirm this. So I want to start with this. You were telling me there is a couple of different shows you got going on. If I remember correctly, it's the NWA 74 is one of them. But yes. what, what is the shows you said you had coming up and going on? Oh, my gosh. I've got several. I just got through with the gathering, which is a huge event in Charlotte. That was the uh, first weekend of August. Uh, Team Art Productions uh, does that one. Like over 100 wrestlers were there. Hundreds and hundreds of fans just had an amazing two days with that. Um, I've got the NWA. Oh, and I was also in Nashville for Flair's last uh, match. So those were the two big ones I just had happen. Now I've got coming up, I've got NWA in St. Louis on the um, August the 27th. My daughter and I will be there on the Saturday Saturday show. That's night number one. And then I've got um, September the 24th. I'm going to be right down the road from me in Hickory, North Carolina. AML Promotions is um, uh, doing a fan fest and also a uh, wrestling show right after that. Then I've got October the 15th. I'll be working with the Warlord and Barbarian. I'll be right. going to the ring with them in Chillicothe, Ohio for Big Time Wrestling. It's uh, Bobby Fulton's promotion. On the 16th, I'll be working with Chris Morrow up in Maryland, uh, Baltimore, Maryland for a fan fest. Um, there, uh, Michaela and I, or Samantha and I will be there for that one. And then I've got... Uh, WrestleCade, the end of November. It's the last uh, weekend in November, right after Thanksgiving for uh, Tracy Myers. He has an excellent fan fest in Winston-Salem at the um, convention center right there in uh, Winston-Salem, the Bentonville Convention Center. That is awesome. And Isn't I it? mentioned- it's, just, it's crazy. My husband hates it, absolutely hates it because I'm gone like for weekends, but I figure I spend the whole week with our seven-year-old and getting him ready for school and meals and dinner on the table every day, at, you know, whenever he gets home from work and then uh, taking care of what household duties I've got to do. And then every weekend, you know, once in a while I get to go off and put on the jackets and go be baby doll. So it's, it's really cool. It's just the most amazing thing ever is whenever people call me to come uh, make appearances. It's it's really neat because I get to hear all the stories and all the memories and it's, it does my heart good. Absolutely. And that's what I was going to ask. 
how that is for you because like i said it was such a window when you were working with jim crockett with tully and dusty and this heyday per se mm-hmm. but yet all these years later it's the fan fests and the independent shows and all that stuff it's would like, have never never would we have imagined you know like 30 40 years later um actually it's gonna be 40 years and um 2024 will actually be my 40th anniversary of making in-ring appearances. I've actually been in the business like my whole life. Yeah. My playpen was in the back room of my dad's promotions where they talked over finishes and smoked cigarettes and drank coffee before the matches. So I've literally been in the business like 60 years from the time that I was an infant to answering the phone for my dad's promotion, selling tickets, selling programs, setting up the ring being a ring as soon as we could carry four chairs we were like part of the ring crew so literally have grown up in this business but to be a part of huge fan fests and even small indie shows it's i love it because i i absolutely love professional wrestling i love the characters i love the people in it i love the diversity um it's just so much fun well let mike jump in here in a second but what it's like your younger one. You said you had a seven-year-old. What's he think about it? Because you mentioned what, before we started, your one daughter is actually in the business. Right. And your other daughter, uh, your older daughter, was is a musician. And their father, Sam Houston. So obviously they were aware of the business. But what's the youngster think about? what? Hey, mom's going to go away for a couple of days to do X, Y, and Z. Well, Ryder is actually my husband's grandson. We've okay. had him for four years. Uh, yeah, at six, at like 53, I was not having kids. It was funny because whenever I married my husband, he was just like, I really wish we could have had kids and, you know, had the family and everything. So now we actually have like our own son because we've had him for four years. But um, it's kind of cool because he's going, my Nana is baby doll. <laughs> And he watches the shows and, and sees the promos and the, and the pictures and the whole thing. And he's uh, quite intrigued by it, to, to say the least. But he'll be going through their banana nanas, baby doll. <laughs> nice. Dr. Mike? Well, anytime I've had her on before, and I consider her a longtime friend, we just lost touch probably because of the email stuff and uh, or maybe email <laughs> hacking. But so proud, and I always promote her as, I think, the only female, and probably, well, because Ted DiBiase was adopted, so she's the only biological wrestler, male or female, to have come from two name pros. Nick Roberts, obviously, Lorraine Johnson, longtime friend and tag partner, Penny Banner, total legends, both of them. Mm -hmm. And obviously, she created this legend for herself but I, I want to ask a couple of stuff or questions of you nicola um because i've been uh, really harping for years on the need for more female etc representation uh more diversity and stuff in the biz we're really seeing that on a tremendous level i mean i am a product of the territory days as you are even though i only had three squash matches you had an entire actual career as a performer athlete but like, um, I'm watching the uh, the A and E stuff. I've contributed to a lot of the those docu's, not all of them. You know, this is season two. They did 46. They're going to stretch them out with some breaks over this calendar year. 
but everybody was talking the busted open show oh uh china joni was the very first like heater like a bodyguard getting heat for a male wrestler and i'm thinking bullshit that was basically in a more subtle way what you did well over a decade before that as muscle for first for tully right and and Actually, i, I know you it, but don't don't you see that as well i saw that right away i go no nicola did that Right. Actually, I was a. Uh, I was actually advertised as Gino's bodyguard. So actually, I was Gino's bodyguard before that, and was advertised for that. And it was all because back in the in the eighties and stuff, the guys did not touch the girls. Like if you had a mixed tag, whenever like the girl tagged out or the guy tagged out, then the other one would come in because the girls never worked with the guys, and so they were having the uh, dilemma when sunshine went to uh, rehab to get better they still had stella may there causing havoc so then gino could not touch her that was just taboo so then he hired a female bodyguard to take care of stella may so we had like a four-month run at that and and it really worked and i would say that i got over because people still remember me and still remember my work so um, actually, I would say that I was the first. Now, they did have a lot of female valets before that, like Sir Nelson Royal. He worked with a girl a couple of times. Gorgeous George had a girl uh, go to the Cherie ring. Cherie Dupree. Yeah, she, no, she was a good friend of mine. Gorgeous George's wrestling wife, Cherie Dupree. And the weird thing was two times he put his hair on the line and then welched it and had her shave her head, like in Toronto yes. against Whitaker Watson. So she had to do that. Thank God you didn't have to do that. Oh, yeah. I That would have been, I, I probably would have, but some major money would have had to, said, no one spanked me and no one shaved my head. So I was very lucky with that. So we were good. When you started in the world class, so wasn't it Andrea the Giant? Yes, Andrea the Lady Giant, which I really hated that because I thought it was kind of a diss on Andre the Giant, who's a very good friend of mine. And I thought, Andre's got his own thing. Why are they kind of making a mockery of it, like having a girl do that? So that's why if you look at the promos and whenever I referred to myself, it was always Nicola and even the announcers, Bill Mercer and uh, Mark Lawrence, all caught onto that, would call me Nicola instead of Andrea. So were you using your, your original name when you first started bodyguarding for uh, Gino, for example? I, I would use it if I had to, but if I figured I could get away with it, I always called myself Nicola. Okay. The, the one thing I don't think I've ever asked, because, you know, particularly now we're thinking equality and, uh, you know, women just using their names, et cetera. Uh, but where did the baby doll name, where on earth did that come from? You know, uh, it was the perfect favorite. 10, but, but, but the baby um, doll, where the hell did that come from? From the stories I've heard, it was Tully's favorite strip club in San Antonio. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it came from like a 40s Cary Grant movie or something, because sometimes he'd call the women or Edward G. Robinson baby doll. Right. I was, because my name is unusual, Nicola is not, I'm like the only one. So a lot of times the boys would call me Baby Doll just oh, okay. because they had no other name to call me. So I think Baby Doll was kind of a generic, but it just, it was, from what I'd heard, it was Tully's favorite strip club. 
and it just fit. Baby doll, the perfect can, just it flowed, it worked. Um, most baby dolls aren't five foot ten and athletic, so I was a complete 180 of what my name personified. But isn't your first name sort of an amalgamation of your parents, uh, Nick and Lorraine, sort of? Exactly. Um, yeah. I was born before like the sonograms and before you could you knew what the birth of your child was before you were actually born. They were expecting a boy. They were hoping for a boy. And so I was going to be Nick Roberts Jr. But then when I was born, I was a girl. So it was just like, oh, we need to rethink this. So my dad's name is Nick and my mother's name is Lorraine Ann. So they took his name and her initials. So my name is actually Nicola Ann. So it's a combination of, of their names, which is really, I just love it. And, and last thing, since I think the last time I had you on, we talked about Penny. We lost Penny. Penny, no matter whenever I interviewed her or filmed stuff with her, like called Claire Alley or whatever, she would always bring up your mom's name. I mean, she was devoted to her as a friend. Um, she was like, or, or would call herself the Queen of Charlotte. I mean, she was always calling all of you guys. Was your she and your mom were really pretty tight, weren't they? I mean, besides, yes. yeah, they uh, they wrote each other. They didn't necessarily call. But you always got the Christmas letter from Penny. Then she'd write my mom for her birthday. And because writing letters was kind of a big thing back then. Not everybody just picked picked up the, the phone call. Because usually if you got a phone call, it meant that someone died. So that was, you know, is more than likely the letters. But they corresponded up until Penny passed away. And she always tried to get my mom to come out to Cauliflower Alley or do appearances. But my mom, once she got out of the business, once once she got pregnant with me, that was it. Um, her suitcase was tucked away in the closet with some of her gear, but she never worked. My dad tried to get her in some of the angles, you know, in Lubbock to, to work some stuff. She never would do that. She just would have nothing to do with the business once she got out of it. So last, last question I'll throw back to Jonathan. So there were five thriving territories then maybe not even counting Gory Guerrero in El Paso, but Lubbock with, with your dad. And then you had Bosch, Fritz, Funks and Amarillo and, uh, and San Antonio, Joe Blanchard. Right. That's, that's amazing. And, and the, the, the guy who we just had him on before busted open before any other wrestling radio show Monday, uh, what's his name? Brian Gewertz, who's got a new book out, but he was Vince's like number one writer for like 16 years. And he's doing this thing for Vice Network, uh, partnering with his longtime, you know, I mean, he, he writes and does all this stuff. He's like uh, Dwayne Johnson's best friend. So they're doing a probably a more uplifting, fun than the dark side for Vice Network, a multi, I don't know how many episodes I'll find out because now I get to supply photos, but it's on the territories. How great is that? to let today's fans know, hey, before Vince went national and put all of these great promotions out of biz, stealing their talent, et cetera, whether you want to blame him or not. But the territories were so fun. That was my bucket list from 66 on. I wanted to shoot every single territory, not just in North America, but worldwide. And there were three in the 60s, or excuse me, three about 1972 in Japan alone. Baba's, Inoki's, and then the AWA affiliated IW, for example. Right. Autophones in Austria, you know, so are you looking forward to that? And hopefully you should 
be participating in something like that because already, how i already filmed for them i filmed for them with, uh, jim crockett promotions it was uh, ricky morton arn anderson uh david crockett and myself we were supposed to have nikita but nikita's uh flight was delayed so we missed the shooting but they flew us all out to los angeles and we filmed um the better part of a whole day and it was it was very it was very humbling to be a part of that group you know to sit down at the tables and and sit down with with these guys total legends and the whole thing and be included in that it was um it was really it was really good um i i'm very looking forward to it i i, I cannot wait to see what they do with it because uh, kevin sullivan was on after us they were going to do the PNW Pacific Northwest. Um, I think they're going to do a really good job. I liked all the the dark side stuff, and to have the same producers, it's um, it should be a top notch presentation. So Ricky Morton, Arn, David Crockett, yourself, and who was the fifth person? Um, Nikita was supposed to be there, but this is like because of all the the travel chaos. Okay. Uh, Nikita's flight was like coming in. How, but it what, was, uh, David Crockett, Ricky Morton, Arn, and myself were sitting at the table for like seven hours just talking wrestling. How long ago? When did you guys film this? That was the first week of June. Wow. Well, well, okay, Jonathan. Well, I'm curious, you know, and I'm sitting here thinking about it. We talked about or tongue-in-cheek with uh, emails and social media and stuff <laughs> like that. And obviously, I was a child when the 80s and early 90s were going on wrestling wise when it became national and all because i just turned 38 two weeks ago but i'm curious to know and obviously you hear the stories the cast of characters whether it been Foley or arn or abby or this one or that you know you go to nikita you know changing his shoot name to nikita koloff and learning russian right yeah being a hundred percent in obviously this was before social media and emails and all that kind of stuff so is it or i should say has it surprised you the evolution of things where before like i said you'd have to be a hundred percent committed whether if you're out to dinner or between towns at the arena whatever the case may be to now it's like people are tweeting things or doing this or doing that yeah, where it's a complete 180. You you have to adapt. I mean, it, it's not, I mean, the 50s changed into the 70s, changed into the 80s. The, every era has its own little quirks and um, obstacles we've got to overcome. Um, my dad hated entrance music and the big, you know, hoopla of the guys going to the ring. He wanted everything you know, like the spotlight on the ring and everything happens in the ring. So for him to say, you know, he hated, you know, like uh, the Freebirds music or the Von Erichs going to the uh, to the ring with their music and everything, it kind of shows how everything has to change. And I think that Matt Hardy said it best. I read one of his interviews where he was like, not only do we promote what's on TV, we also have to promote on what's on the internet and what they're seeing. And it's a whole new genre and a whole new way of pushing yourself and getting yourself over. And I don't think that anyone has gotten themselves more over than the Hardy boys. 
So they keyed in on that and went with it rather than than bucking of like, well, I'm not going to do social media and I'm not going to tweet and I'm not going to do Facebook and the whole thing. You have to adapt if you're going to get yourself over. And unfortunately, my husband, <laughs> he hates it because, you know, I'm on Facebook and Twitter and the whole thing. But not only am I promoting myself, I'm promoting my daughter because the more that I'm seeing, the more that they're going to want to see her also. So it's, it's, it's all in working. It's all in getting yourself over in every form of media that you can. Yeah. And as you were saying that, and it totally makes sense, your dad came from an era where everything was in the ring. There was an entrance music, this, that, and the other. But yet you were part of the generation, like you said, the Freebirds and the Von Erics were, they started introducing theme music and such. And now we are here in 2022 where you have the lights and the, you know, this whole big spectacle, which yeah. I get for the TV products. So was there a point in that time frame? Because you were dead smack in the middle there of all this when you do a big arc. Was there something that really that surprised you? You go, really, we're going to do this, but it ended up working. Um, sorry, I dropped you for a second. Um, I, I don't think so because it's all in the show and it's all in making yourself bigger and better and trying to get the intrigue of the people. And, you know, if you don't make yourself a big deal, nobody's going to think you're a big deal. So Flair coming in on the helicopter, I wanted to be on the helicopter, you know, <laughs> and Sunshine came in on the helicopter. I wanted to do that. Um, I don't think that there's ever been, it's wrestling. It's supposed to be bigger and more outlandish than real life. You know, it's, it's supposed to be different and intriguing and captivating and something that you'll talk about tomorrow and next week and next month about, Hey, did you see what so-and-so did? Um, I don't think I ever have. I think I've been disappointed that there wasn't more met rather than there was more and you know as you answered that i thought of the old roddy piper promo where he said why not toot your own horn nobody else knows the tune better exactly something along, some, something along those lines well but, it, it goes with promotion promoting too because my dad promoted yeah and you know it was like every week we put out 64 window cards and whenever we went to a town to do like a spot show my dad would key in because Lubbock so or Lubbock area was so flat. Whenever you're driving, you can see the big radio antennas. So we drive for the radio antennas so that we could do the radio spots and, and buy the advertising and go to the National Guard Armory and make it a big thing. Because if you don't make it intriguing and something that people want to see, nobody's going to want to come see it. So promoting is is such a magic and an art to it. And it's also a job. You've really got to put a lot into it. You just can't go put up a couple of chairs in the ring and expect anybody to show up. Because if you don't announce that Hulk Hogan's there, nobody's going to show up if nobody knows who's there. And in general, not just wrestling, but you can have the best product on earth. Whether it's mm -hmm. the best soap, best deodorant, best wrestling show, best this, whatever it is. Knows. If nobody knows that product's there, right? you're not, you're not going to sell tickets or sell the product exactly. or whatever. Exactly. But obviously, 
you worked with, like I said, the heyday that I'm thinking of is with Dusty and Tully and that feud and stuff. What was it like working with those guys? But on the other end, we've been talking generational stuff here. Have you had an opportunity to see Tully's daughter? Oh, yeah. Yes, I, I've seen Tessa several times. Very impressed with her work. Just a super athlete. Um, works really, really hard to get herself over. And her pers- persona and the character and the whole thing goes above and beyond with her gear, the whole thing. Um, I think Tully, Magnum, and Courtney have a lot to be proud of with her. Um, it, it's really hard, especially since she's also third generation. She has a big name to live up to, and I think she's definitely done it. Dr. Mike? Um, I did a 90-minute a uh, tribute on, a, on my other show to Judo Jean LaBelle, who I worked with in the L.A. territory, the Mike LaBelle, Cal Eaton territory from 67 until, of all things, Mike LaBelle, December 1982, sells the office, retires and sells the office to Vince Jr. a year over a year before Vince went national and started raiding talent and all that. So those were the earliest claws out. But Gene, um, and I was there for it, Gene worked with Roddy Piper on all of his promos and fed him stuff like, you know, he a guy that your dad was very familiar with who uh, was living the rest of his life in like the Dallas area, Leo Garibaldi, who was part of a father-son as the son wrestling duo you know, for years in the 50s and 60s. But Leo Garibaldi was our genius booker after Jules Strongbow retired in L.A. And he finessed. Roddy came in um, and was sent in by Paul Bosch and Red Bastien to just come in and drop, you know, do a couple of shots for us in L.A. and then go up and work full-time for Shire, Roy Shire in San Francisco. And instead, Leo Garibaldi and Gene, but mostly Leo, finessed that whole Rowdy Scott thing with, and ha- because he came in as like this generic white meat baby face. He wrestled second from the bottom against Tony Rocco, January 20th, 1976. Debuts for us at our biggest annual show, the January Battle Royal. And he was supposed to do one TV and leave. And nobody thought anything of him. Within a week, Leo and Gene had finessed him into this massive heel. You know, he knew how to play bagpipes. He had him, but he wasn't using him in the ring, uh, to my knowledge, in Kansas City or Winnipeg. And all of that stuff happened in like seven days time. But mm-hmm. so I, I know your dad knew Gene because he came in and, and worked shots all over Texas and stuff in the 60s. But I'm just thinking on now about entrance music. Here's briefly what the history of entrance music. Gorgeous George first with Pomp and Circumstance. Then Buddy Rogers with Nat King Cole's version of Nature Boy, the song Nature Boy. And there's video of Buddy standing at the piano with... Uh, Nat King Cole playing that, if you can imagine and singing, it'll blow your mind. The third guy came from Texas, bad, bad Leroy Brown. I forget his real name, but he was working uh, primarily Houston and Dallas. And he comes in and then they use the Jim Croce song for him. We're talking 76 at the earliest. Then uh, Ray Candy in Florida for Eddie Graham put on a hood and, and, it was, it was a jazz song called Superfly. I don't know why Jimmy Snooker never used that. You know, there wasn't any singing in it, but right. it was goofy. And then, of course, the Freebirds, and it ballooned from there. But I thought, like, Carrie's from Rush, uh, whatever that song is, that was, like, amazing entrance music. I don't know if you got 
goosebumps the first time you heard him use it in I an outdoor stadium. I can I can actually beat that because I played Do You Think I'm Sexy by Rod Stewart for Gino Hernandez like 76, 77, maybe. Sure. Wow. And you, of course, wore Motley Crue t-shirts, etc. Oh, yeah. Uh, in your wrestling days. You, you that's were how um, Jake got uh, the DDT Cruel But Fair was actually from, I'd gone to see Rod Stewart at Reunion Arena whenever I was working for Dallas. And I had the t-shirt on that had Rod Stewart Cruel But Fair. And he's going, DDT Cruel But Fair. So he actually got that off from one of my Rod Stewart t-shirts. <laughs> Let's seek into your daughters because I just thought that was so cool because there, you know, been all these ties and now it's such a massive thing. But it, in my territory days and yours, it was fun. Like to when I got the honor to shoot at Madison Square Garden ring time X amount of times, Bruno would just come out, nothing, no pyro, no girls, uh, no entrance music, not even a ring jacket, just the strap. Right. And the place would go banana, as Pat Patterson would say. And it was deafening. I had to wear earplugs even then. And oh, that, yes. that was so cool. But, you know, now your daughter was doing goth, but tell us about your daughters, because I don't even know about your, uh, your your younger daughter actually wrestling. So tell us about them and how can people like go to their social media and stuff? Well, my oldest daughter's name is Micah Tyler. She has a band called The Never Not. And she uh, lives in Asheville and um, is, is absolutely loving it. And then my youngest daughter, Michaela, wrestles under Samantha Starr. She's been wrestling 14 years now. She's been wrestling since she was 15. Um, she is third generation female wrestler, which is unheard of. There's, there's no other girl in this business like Natalia's second generation, Tessa's um, third generation but not on the girl side because uh when you look at my daughter her her grandmother her mother and then herself so that's three generations plus samantha uh uncle is jake the snake roberts her aunt is wwf women's world's champion robin smith and then her mom is baby doll and her dad is uh sam houston her um grandfather on her Dad's side is Grizzly Smith, and then her grandparents on my side are Nick Roberts and Lorraine Johnson. So she's, I, I kid with her, I said her hereditary is almost as, as stoked as the Samoans. <laughs> no, her lineage is second to none. That's amazing. Right. So now I recall that name, Samantha Star. I don't know why I didn't put two and two together. So that's really, really cool. What aspirations? Where would she like to work now that? WWE is going normal. They can finally say with Hunter the word wrestling instead of the bullshit sports entertainment crap. Right. And so it's it's an exciting period of time. It ain't the territories, but it's kind of close. Like you can just go to any streaming thing. Like if I want to see Carolina promotions, some of them might stream. They might do it free. They might charge for it. Or New Japan World. You can watch anything. Like in my day, I had to hitchhike or have the magazines trans me to cover this shit in the 70s. Now you can watch it. It's an unparalleled time. But what, do you, what is uh, Michaela? What would she? I would think like I think her NWA show on the 27th is going to be her biggest show ever. So I'm really looking forward to being a part of that. Um, it's, it's a different time. I mean, when you look at like wrestling now, girls can go so many places and wrestle and work and. I think with the WWE, though, that they 
came out that you've got to be like 17 to 21 to even try out. They don't even want any of the older girls and she's uh, 29 now. So hopefully, you know, that they'll go more towards the older girls, but if they're marketing for the younger girls, then, then they just really don't have a chance. But it is thrilling that women often are the main event. They're at the top and the yeah. opener that, you know, where you, you want to do a Detroit rock city by kiss. You want to have a blow away, blow people away opener. Women are there, but they're also in the main events and they're an integral part of the shows where, you know, you and Sherry Martell and others, Candy Devine had to fight sometimes for, not you, I think you were every week uh, once Crockett came into TBS. Right. Uh, um, then, well, she just worked Orangeburg this past week. This was the first time that they'd had wrestling in like four years because of the COVID and all the crap happening. And, and she blew the place away. She absolutely had the match of the night. It's really cool when fans actually message me and are taking pictures of her wrestling and showing how good she is while she's working. That's how you know you're over is when fans are sending your mom pictures of like, look, your daughter's wrestling. Look how she, good she is. Does she, would, I don't know if she's already worked for stardom, which is Rossi Ogawa was the genius who was the creative force between behind all Japan women in the seventies, eighties, nineties before it fizzled. And now he's got stardom where all the like the WWE women and, and many of the AEW women come from. Has she already worked there? Would she like to work? Get that under uh, her belt? Oh, I would think so. She was offered. Um, she, I think she's had two chances to go to Japan, but she has a shoot job. And then she was going to college at the time. And it was like right whenever she was getting ready to do major tests. And she had to tell him no, because she knew that to be a wrestler, she'd also have to have her shoot job and an education. Um, for several years there, she had um, she was a manager at one of the Sonics in Fayetteville. So, you know, there's 40 to 60 hours a week at that job. She was also going to school full time as a college student and then wrestling every weekend. So she has definitely put her time in and due diligence to to make it where she's at now. What a professional. Last question for unless we have to go or obviously, Jonathan, Um the Jake, well, the whole dark side on that family and Grizz, who was always super nice to me whenever I'd go to Leroy McGurk's. Uh, I had the honor a couple of times of going. This was before Bill Watts kind of muscled Leroy out of there, which I told uh, uh, Mike McGurk and stuff that it was painful for me to see because a lot of us really loved Leroy. You know, Jim Ross says jokes and stuff and blah, blah, blah. But Leroy was a legend just yeah. from his wrestling career alone before he went blind. I mean, he was world junior champion, heavyweight champion. Yeah. That was the Danny Hodge hero Matsuda title that meant so much. Total, total legend. And I hope they do. A, I don't know. I'll email you about that, what the schedule, what territories they're doing. But the dark side, you know, a lot of those are really hard to sit through. Um, but I know you participate in it. What were your thoughts on that and some of the others? Because like, if you watch the Lex Luger, Kurt Angle, A&E, WWE controlled docus, it was like their version of Dark Side. You know, they even have a discussion group, which the first season of Dark Side had. They were kind of lame, where you have like Brutus Beefcake start commenting on somebody he never knew, but whatever. But um, just your thoughts on that and, and some of the others, because I think there were three seasons. I mean, they tackled everything from Moolah right. 
which was rough because you know now she's kind of almost excommunicated from wwe opens i don't know what what are your thoughts on the dark side we watched them all they were well well done those guys did advice did a you know they're newer to the biz but they did a first class job as opposed to reels or some of those other cable sleazy documentaries on wrestling people i think uh vice was very good with their dark side series I learned a lot. I mean, here I am in the business like for forever. And I learned a lot about Gino. Like I had no idea he was married during that time. I had no idea he had children, the the whole thing. So they definitely pulled the curtain back for a lot of us and, and showed us a lot of things that we didn't know and see. It was um, very professionally done um, in the time that like... I don't want to say that there's no more kayfabe because I still try and, you know, try to, but I mean, it's just impossible to, um, but they showed a lot of this, uh, of what probably needed to be seen and exposed and uh, just for general knowledge so that people know what we're going through or what we had been through. And there's like repercussions, like Rick Flair like for over a year was excommunicated from the biz, you know, when they came out, we all knew that plane ride from hell stuff. I didn't know it was as awful as it sounds or. I, I don't uh, think it was. I think especially the plane ride from hell. Um, w- once it came out, a lot of people were like, well, that didn't happen. And that person wasn't even on the plane. Yeah, right, right. Jim Ross said that a lot of it was bullshit. Like he didn't know yeah, that one was a problematic one, but you know. Uh, well, they brought on the flight attendant that they'd had paid off to not say anything and here she's talking well if she was so i don't know um i don't i don't know the word for it but if if she was so um i, I don't know Trauma, her, traumatized maybe traumatized yeah, traumatized that's it traumatized by the situation why hadn't she said anything about it it's, it had been 20 years they paid her the money you know, and the whole thing. And and thank goodness to this day, and I'm not going to, I've never seen Flair naked. I've never seen the road, the robe thing, the whole thing. It's kind of like, if you didn't want to see it, you didn't look, you know? So it wasn't like he was putting anything in anybody's faces or anything like that. And then to say that Flair, oh my gosh, Flair did something inappropriate. Wow. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That's well, It's that's not limited to wrestling because look at the, Chuck Berry, you know, godfather of rock and roll. Oh, he did all kinds of shit. Yeah, didn't he have the cameras? Didn't he have a restaurant or or truck stop or something? He had the cameras in the bathrooms and stuff. It's just, I I don't know, for someone to be like clutch their pearls and oh my gosh, I can't believe that, then professional wrestling (laughs) is not for you. (laughs) And then lastly, because I've never asked you this, um, is it hard like the last say whatever it's been 26 years since Vince exposed the biz to avoid having to pay ringside doctors you know in every state deal with the state athletic commissions that everything is out there and you know like I get depressed that a lot of today's younger kids they don't even when I ask them can you speak carny they don't even know what the word means and but all the rappers are speaking carny all the rappers yeah, yeah like Snoop Dogg invented his own version of carny right um, it's, it's just different and that I don't think that you can look at anything that I've done 
and go, oh, that's fake, that's scripted. I never left anyone's doubt in my, their mind that whenever I hit Cornette, I hit Cornette. So I think you just have to make your stuff look believable no matter what. It's um, Tully had the best explanation for it because I think we were following um, maybe someone someone's work that wasn't as tight as what it should have been or looked as good as what it was. He said, they will never doubt that what I do is real. He said, they may think that that's a show and that's, you know, that's not real, but they'll never doubt that what we do is for real. And that's what we have to leave them with. And that always resonated with me uh, up until now is that whenever I do something, uh, there's not going to be a doubt in your mind that whatever I'm doing is, is real, whether it is or not. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna give that doubt in your mind. You're gonna believe that what I'm doing is real. I'll throw it back to Jonathan, but that's why purists and historians like myself, obviously, we favored Crockett's NWA and even Ole's Love Georgia Championship because that stuff rocked ass against, you know, the character-driven WWF, big man's territory. Other than like Dynamite Kid against Sayama. They didn't. Right. They couldn't hold a candle to the NWA right. stuff you guys were doing, or exactly. Jim Cornette. The WWF is cartoons, and and their stuff isn't real. But Jim Crockett, now that that's a real stuff. They're really fighting. They really hate each other. And when you look at like with Magnum and Tully, there's no doubt in your mind that those guys didn't like each other. You know, you can hear it. You can hear it when they're hitting each other. Still magic. Still magic. Absolutely. It's that classic line from Johnny Valentine in terms of what I don't care what you think of the other stuff, but you're going to believe I'm real. Exactly. Exactly. But we've been bouncing all over the place. And my final question, at least, is because you are part of a multi-generation family between your parents, yourself and your daughter, but with both daughters, I should say. Or asked this one being with music, one with wrestling and such. Yeah, tongue in cheek with maybe ribbing on the square or flair with the robes at the time and different things that we notice stories of. Right. As a parent, do you feel better with how the entertainment business is, whether it be wrestling or music and stuff? Like you. I would hear stories would have to change in the same locker room with the guys and this, that, and the other, where the girls have their own space. I'm not saying anything happened, but what I'm saying is it's the business overall has improved. If that makes sense. Do you yeah. feel better as a mom that, that your girls are in well, a See, I never changed with the guys. I always either came dressed in my gimmick or I found a broom closet if I had to, a coach's office, some little side office. I never got dressed in. I also raised my girls with the understanding of that you're going to get treated the way that you want to be treated. And that if you hold yourself up to the highest esteem and the highest regard in people's uh, minds and that you demand respect, you're going to get respect. Now, there's a lot of girls out there that will just drop everything in the middle of the dressing room and have no problem, you know, and that's fine. That's their deal. 
but when my daughter goes to a, a building, when Samantha goes somewhere, she finds her own room and, and she'll get dressed that way. And that, um, and you just have to have the respect to get respect. And that um, I, I hope I've done that with my girls is to teach them that um, you're gonna get what you, what you deserve. And that if people are, are acting bad towards you, then what, what caused them to do that? Because that was your actions, not because of somebody else. And hopefully, and, and to this day, they, they still do that. And um, you know, if, if some girls have no problem with that, then that's, that's their deal. But my girls are not that way. And I remember, as you said that, his guy was a f friend for many years until his passing. It made me think of a line Percy Pringle or Paul Bearer would tell me. Right. As far as your self-respect there. And if something happens, you, as you mentioned, you have five fingers in your hand. You can be pointing a finger all day long. But you right. got there's other fingers pointing back at you. What was your exactly. contribution to whatever the situation was? Exactly. And and with me being like the only girl, and especially the only girl for a long time in the dressing room and being traveling with the guys and the whole thing, you will not hear one of the guys say one bad thing about me or say that I was out of line anywhere or I was disrespectful or I or I or I acted badly. I always held myself up to the highest esteem because I, my parents were alive. I knew that if, if I did, someone would be calling my mom and dad and saying, hey, your daughter's not acting right. I didn't want that repercussion. I also had my family name. My dad's got one of the best re reputations in the business ever. I didn't want to disrespect him in any way. And I didn't want to disrespect the guys that I was working with. I didn't want to disrespect Dusty or Tully or the Crockett name. And to this day, Dusty's wife comes up and hugs me and out of just, cause she knows, she knows how I acted. She knows how I was around her husband and that to have that respect from the wives says it all. Well, we mentioned at the beginning all your appearances you got going on and such, mm -hmm. and we tongue in cheek with the social media and such, but where can people find you to see these upcoming appearances? If you're going to be in their neck of the woods or whatever, what's the I've best got, places? Um, I've got Facebook, Twitter, and I'm not so much on Instagram, but just type in Nicola N I C K L A and all my stuff comes up. I'm the only Nicola out there. So if they want to um, message me or, um, or share pictures. I love to see pictures and stuff like that of the matches. And, and when I've been working, I, I absolutely love that. But um, just type in Nicola and you'll find me. Dr. Mike, do you have anything you'd like to close with? I want to see, is that a, a Vern Gagne AWA gimmick shirt you're wearing? No, it's a Harley Davidson shirt. My, oh, Harley, my okay. husband, my husband um, has several down in our basement from uh, panhead shovel heads, knuckles um i think there's like seven motorcycles down there right now i'm not i'm not supposed to count them <laughs> is what i've been told don't count them and then i think my father-in-law's got 14 or 15 up in his um building so uh, and they all ride and they yeah they'd love them so it's one of my husband's shirts i i knew before anyone did that medusa debbie michelli around 91 was in 90 huge into harleys of anybody female wrestler wise 
So right. now that's kind of cool. I don't know if you guys know each other. Oh, yes. I the know. Her. In fact, I'm going to see her in two weeks. All right. That is so cool because I'd shot at Keel. I'd shot at, you know, the wrestling at the chase was where Munchnik and Larry Matisik did their TV. And now I guess that's my last question is what do you think of Billy Corgan? He, you know, there was that 90s NWA that really felt nothing like that. And then TNA with Jeff Jarrett, he, he did his best for a few years with it. But Billy Corgan, a rock star, God, uh, yes. doing it, you know, the right way and, and referencing all of the history. Absolutely love it. I'm so looking forward to it. I, I cannot wait to meet him and I cannot meet to, wait to meet Tyrus because Tyrus has got the TV belt that I used to carry. So I'm going to have to take one of my pictures and show him like I was carrying that belt beforehand and. I'm just so looking forward to the NWA show. It's just, it's going to be so cool. Just, I, I, I'm just, I'm excited about going. He's a kick. He's on uh, every night on Greg Gutfeld's show and he's got a new book out. So, Hey, how about a Nicola Roberts book autobiography? If you don't have one yet. Well, I have been approached several times about doing a book. I'm sure that it would be amazing and fantastic, but to tell you the truth, I like doing podcasts. I like doing this. Because this is forever, um, and you can always go back and reference, and there's questions in their whole thing. Everybody's got a book. You know what I'm saying? Everybody. And for me to do something, it's just, uh, I've got other things to do. Um, I like doing podcasts where I get to answer questions. I also like um, that Vince and Stephanie and Triple H have put, um, all of Crockett's work and the world class on on libraries where people can see us because they've made me immortal. And it's just um, it's very cool that my kids can go back and watch my work. And it'll, even a little writer can see some of the stuff that I've done. So um, at this time, I would say no, I've just got other things to do. And I, I just like you know, like short little interviews like this because then I'm out there forever. Awesome. Wow, so great to reconnecting with you. It is. That's so cool. I really love this. Thank you. Have a good uh, rest of your day. Try downloading this new classic set of music that will be dropping so far off the charts, there's bound to be injuries. <laughs> now that's what I call depressing. It's gonna make those who are even close to having the slightest glimmer of hope wanna jump off the highest of planks. For those that are getting Now That's What I Call Depressing, you'll be getting that song that reminds you of that relationship with those cougars. Wrinkled Ladies. For those who weren't really into cougars, but those who had that special friend while Sincel Black 2B, we got for you this clusterfuck that will put you in therapy for years to come. With cheeks wide open, 
the fuck writes this shit? Oh hell, we're still recording this commercial. Always with you, it cannot be done. Those that rather have it out than in. This loaded hit will be dropping soon, farthing in the USA. For those who place their order by calling or ordering online, the next hundred folks will receive their choice of either a noose of good quality that won't snap, an installation of a new outlet next to your bathtub so you can now blow dry your hair in a full tub. Or the choice of the right gang to just beat the fuck out of you. Call us today at 1-800-FUCK-THIS. This is Dr. Tom Pritchard, and you're listening to Crazy Train Radio. It's every Monday through Friday from 7 to 10 p.m. Don't miss it.